But the text for this morning, Matthew chapter seven, verse 13 and verse 14. Jesus said here toward the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he says, enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life and few there be that find it. Boy, words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, if you're really an honest person, you, you kind of find the Sermon on the Mount largely troubling, if you ask me. Because there's things that make me real nervous. Like when Jesus says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, you will in no ways enter the kingdom of heaven. Does that make anybody nervous? Um, Jesus said stuff like, you know, you've heard him say that if you commit adultery, you know, you're guilty, but if you're a man who even looks at a woman with lust in your heart, you're guilty of committing adultery. Or Jesus says something like, if you're, if you're angry at your brother, you, you know, you've heard thou shalt not kill, but if you're angry at your brother, you're guilty of murder. And Jesus raises the, the level to an exponential level to where you hear the Sermon on the Mount, you think, oh man, who then can be saved? And, and here Jesus says, wide is the path that leads to destruction and narrow is the path and few there be that find it. Oh, those are troubling words. Few there be that find it. And what's interesting is Jesus in his Sermon on the Mount, his sermon is about humanity's problems. His sermon's about how far, far we fall short and how it really, none of us can save ourselves. We're, the Sermon on the Mount is sort of an indictment against humanity that puts us in real trouble. But one of the things we're learning on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus doesn't even give the answer. Jesus tells about all the problems of humanity and how far we fall short and how few there be that are gonna find the narrow way. And it's a troubling thing until you realize that Jesus doesn't preach the answer because he is the answer. Jesus is the answer to the Sermon on the Mount. And it's same, and it's true with this verse as well. In fact, um, broad is the way that leads to destruction, but thanks be to Jesus, he provided the narrow way. Without Jesus, there wouldn't even be a narrow way. There'd just be a way to hell, and that's it. You see, when the Bible talks about you know, destruction here, it's talking about what the Bible teaches of eternal destruction, eternal death, and hell. The broad way is easy, the popular way, um, uh, everybody does it way, the way everybody thinks it's cool or whatever. But the contrary, the narrow way is, is one that you gotta, it's narrow. It, it's not just narrow and straight, but it's narrow to where you gotta drop your baggage and everything you're clinging to so you can kind of squeeze in the narrow path. That's, that's the narrow way. What do you have to drop? What baggage? Your sin, your preconceived ideas of things you want or demand, and you have to say, I'm gonna let that go. It's called repentance. You repent and you go down the narrow path and the path is Jesus. This is such a key. In fact, John you know, 14, uh, six says it this way, and you guys have heard these verses. Jesus said unto him, I am the way, the truth and the life. No man cometh to the Father, but by me. Here's a question for you. Where's the Father? Everywhere, yeah. Well, do you remember our prayer last week? Jesus taught us to pray, our Father. Oh, so now we know where he is. Um, so when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth of life, no man comes to the Father, and you could say, which is in heaven, but by, but by Christ, Jesus is the way. He, he's not showing the way, he's not pointing the way, he is the way. 
That's Jesus, I love that. In the book of Acts, we read similar type things in the context of Acts 4, um, we're talking about Jesus. And there in Acts 4, 12, it says, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no, uh, no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. No other name? Well, what about Muhammad? What about Krishna? What about Buddha? What about Oprah? <laughs> Come on, Brett. There's got to be many paths that lead to heaven or lead to God. And yet here's Jesus saying very clearly, narrow is the way. Jesus is the only way. I am the way, the truth of the... Nobody comes to the Father, which is in heaven, but by me. Now, our world really doesn't like that. Um, and because of our, uh, you know, hatred for narrowness, uh, Christians are often called narrow-minded or, you know, bigoted is the new word. Uh, you know, there's all kinds of names people like to call, especially Christians. Uh, I was listening to a Joe Rogan show the other day, and um, it was when the Babylon Bee guy was on. A guy, somebody forwarded it to me, said, Brett, they had this interesting discussion on abortion with the Joe Rogan, one of the biggest podcasts in America. And Rogan, I, I do wonder, I don't really listen to that podcast that often because it's, it's a little salty. And as a pastor, I don't want my virgin ears to hear cuss words. Um, I'm, I'm sort of joking there. But, um, but I, I do kind of wonder if Joe is on his way to maybe learning about Jesus. And I pray that maybe he will, because I, I sense that he's really legitimately having conversation. And it's rare to find somebody who actually wants to talk about something and really like they had this conversation about abortion that was actually really meaningful and uh, it was good and nobody was name calling and stuff like that. So that, that's one of the reasons I listened to that. But, but he said something in the podcast that as a secular, you know, godless guy, he said, why is it that Christians always get all the flack and people joke about Christianity, but you can't joke about Islam or about all the other religions. He said, why is religion of Christianity the one that gets targeted all the time? And I thought he's seeing something that's actually true. And I'll tell you why, because it's the true and it's the real one. Because Jesus is the way, the world says, yeah, whatever. We don't wanna be pigeonholed. There are many paths that lead to salvation. Um, who says that stuff? You know, it's interesting because people that say there are many paths that lead to heaven or lead to God, um, you know, they're actually saying something that sounds so wonderful and so squishy-gishy and all that stuff but it goes exactly opposite of what Jesus actually said. Isn't that something? I mean, it's amazing to me that, that uh, people even call themselves Christians and then say, yeah, but there are many paths, even though Jesus said, uh, no, there's not. Uh, that's an amazing thing. Oh, Brett, you're just being biased, you know, by choosing and, you know, you're, 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 Christians are accused. You know, we're not open-minded and we're biased and bigotry, prejudice. They love to all that, but everybody's got a bias. Everybody's, you know, uh, bigoted and prejudiced in certain ways. Like, why do you have requirements on, say, like your doctor? Um, you know, why not just choose a well-meaning person rather than somebody who has a degree? So they're gonna cut you open and remove your gallbladder. Uh, do they know what side to cut? I mean, oh, I just like to think of him as someone who's well-meaning. No, there, you, you are very direct in saying there's gotta be kind of, I, I need to go through a proper channel to make sure this person knows which side of my body to open. Um, and so you're, you're very prejudiced in who you choose. Um, it's funny because that's come up with uh, airline pilots and stuff like that. Like, who do you want flying the plane? 
Um, and, and the way we choose people now for employment, it's like our world is definitely trying to even apply sort of that open-mindedness to stuff that you kind of want somebody who knows how to, I don't care what race they are, I don't care what religion they are, I just wanna make sure they know how to fly a 747 when I get on the plane. That's kind of the requirement I have. Um, oh, you're just, you're just prejudiced, Brett. No, I just wanna live. <laughs> so you choose your doctor with great bias. Uh, it reminds me of the receptionist who announced in the office to the patient, uh, Dr. Wanonski will be waiting for you. And the patient said, which doctor? And the receptionist said, no, he's fully qualified. <laughs> get it, which doctor? Sorry, oh, this be like, oh yeah, now I get it. Uh, so the question is, why does God choose one way? Why not go with Oprah and so many of these other people who say, there are many paths that lead to heaven. Why not go with that? Um, well, the Bible actually tells us clearly that it's one way. So the, the, the question I might ask is, why does God make it so limited, so narrow? Why is it so singular? Well, let me just uh, suggest a few things. First of all, um, um, you know, here in our text of Matthew 7, he says there's two roads, one narrow and straight, one wide and broad and that one leads to destruction. So why does God keep it narrow and straight? The answer, number one, is simplicity for humanity. I love that the Lord made it simple. If there were 15 ways to heaven, Satan would create 15,000 ways that looked a lot like those 15. He's called the deceiver, he's a duplicator, he's an imitator, and so counterfeit is his business. Satan loves to counterfeit Jesus and make things look very much like true Christian faith, but they're very much not. And man, that happens all the time. Our tendency is to make mistakes and choose the wrong path. I mean, if you've got 15 right paths and 15,000 other paths, how are you gonna choose the right of the 15? That becomes really complex, but fortunately for us, the Lord in his word says there's only one way and it's through Jesus Christ. I love, I love when the debate is taken away in my life personally. I don't debate certain things. When I get up in the morning, I don't debate, am I going to brush my teeth this morning? Hmm, should I or shouldn't I? Uh, now, some of you are making me nervous. You look a little like, yeah, you're supposed to brush your teeth every day. Hello, you guys. Uh, yeah, so hopefully that's not a hard decision for you in the morning. You know what, I'm gonna choose to brush my teeth because you kind of need to do it. I like very singular decisions. But I don't like the ones that, man, oh, should I do this or should I do that or should I do the other? That becomes difficult. And so I'm so thankful that there's not all paths lead to this, you know, heaven or the same place or eternal life. I'm thankful that it's very singular. I, I only have one decision to make. Do I walk the straight and narrow path or do I walk the broad path to everything else that leads to destruction? That's what the Bible says. Oh, but Brett, you're just, you're just being too narrow. I like the way that the, the comes, rolls off the tongue. All paths lead to heaven. That's just a really dumb statement. Can I just say that? It's really dumb. Do all, did, did Jim Jones's path lead to heaven? Jim Jones, who's that? Well, you younger people probably don't know. In 1978, there was this religious leader and some people kind of thought of him as a main you know, Christian sort of guy, but he was a wacko and he was a cult leader and he did really wacko stuff. And he was sort of forcing some people to stay in his little commune type church thing that he had started and it was growing in numbers. And, and then some senator, I think some congressmen came to visit. They murdered those guys. 
Uh, once they found out about that, then Jim Jones moved his whole thing down to South America, Guyana, I think it was, uh, where he made this cult complex and they rehearsed suicide, mass suicide they rehearsed, but nobody really thought he's gonna really do it until one day in 1978, they all died, 900 people drinking the Kool-Aid. That's where that term came from. Oh, they're drinking the Kool-Aid. Jim Jones got a bunch of Kool-Aid, put cyanide in it, and everybody drank it knowing they were committing suicide. Some of them got shot in the head with a gun. Uh, Jim Jones was one of them. They don't know if it was self-inflicted or if it was somebody else who shot him. But uh, that was not a good way. All paths lead to heaven. Not that one. (laughs) Or what about Adolf Hitler? He took a path. Oh, that's just an extreme crazy. No, a whole nation followed him. Do you understand that? Like, like we, we become, if there's one third thing we've learned from history is we've learned nothing from history. <laughs> and Adolf Hitler led a whole nation. Now you could argue what percentage of the Germans were kind of like just afraid to, to say anything or how many of them were really on board with his Aryan Nazi uh, white supremacist uh, wackoism. Um, it was crazy, but he sounded really good to them. And he made a compelling argument. Mein Kampf includes scriptures and religionist quotes and theologians. Even Martin Luther was quoted by Adolf Hitler when it came to his Mein Kampf and and his plan to exterminate the Jews off the planet. Did his path lead to heaven or to God? Uh, I'm gonna argue his path led straight to hell. Um, That's the horrifying, sad part of that deal. Not all paths lead to heaven. And, and you say, well, Brett, that's, that's Hitler. Obviously he was bad. Well, they didn't, they didn't figure it out. The German people didn't back then. Um, and Jim Jones, he had a bunch of followers, but yeah, he was kind of wacko. But can I just say, there's a lot of the things that are the Broadway don't look like Hitler or crazy Jim Jones, but it does look more like Oprah. Brett, why do you always bash Oprah? Why do you always throw Oprah in there with Krishna, Buddha, Muhammad? Can I tell you? She is being used by Satan as much as anybody today. Oh, Brett, it's time to leave Aether Creek. Well, we do need some room in the parking lot. Um, maybe open up a few chairs. Uh, no, I'm sorry, I'm just kidding. It's just, just a joke there, a little humor, a little Aether Creek humor. Um, um, Brett, why would you say, so? oh, we all love Oprah. Oh, I have to admit, I like Oprah. It's just like, she's this nice lady and you love her story coming out of poverty and to being one of the wealthiest women in the world. And the story is compelling and, and, and all this great stuff. But did you know, like she's a religious leader. Do you know that? Um, if you don't know that, your, your, your head's in the sand a little bit. Um, she's a powerful force since ni- the 1980s. Um, social media numbers, you know, her Twitter followers, 43.3 million followers. Um, and it's interesting because that's just Twitter. Instagram, 21.4 million. Facebook, 20 million. Uh, powerful women, powerful women like to follow her. Um, she uh, claims to be a Christian, but she's not. Well, who are you to say Oprah's not a Christian? Well, I'm a pastor who teaches the Bible. And the Bible tells us what a Christian is. And Oprah is not that. A Christian, Christ in. What is that? Someone who really follows Christ. And Oprah said, you know, I'm a Christian, but I don't really believe Jesus is the only way. I don't need a man who died on a cross for me, but I am a Christian. What? Uh, let, me, let me quote exactly. By the way, Christianity Day in 2002, when she really started taking off in her spiritual uh, new age movement, uh, her readers club, which millions and millions. Um, 
uh, and since 1994, Christianity Today said, Oprah's most significant role has become that of a spiritual leader to her audience of more than 22 million, mostly female viewers. She has become a postmodern priestess, an icon of church-free spirituality. Um, why did she become church-free? When she was a younger woman, she went to the church of her childhood and the pastor was preaching on God is a jealous God. And she thought, I don't wanna believe in a jealous God. That's a sin being jealous. She didn't understand what the Bible actually means. The pastor either failed or she wasn't listening to explain when God declares himself as a jealous God. It's not even he's jealous of someone, that's sinful. But he's jealous for his people. That's a, that's a term of the Bible that we don't use as much today. Uh, you might say like a parent loves their child and wants to keep them from bad people. Um, that's being jealous for your children. That's the way the Bible employs the term and that's what God does for his people. So poor Oprah, when she heard that, said, I'm out, no longer gonna be a part of church. And I really don't know what to think about Jesus. But Brett, she gives away free cars on her show. Um, <laughs> she quotes from the Bible. So does Satan, by the way. Did you know Satan quotes from the Bible? Um, but Brett, she's friends with Meghan Markle. <laughs> what does that have to do with anything? Um, isn't that how Satan likes to do stuff? He appears as an angel of light, quoting, twisting scriptures. Um, but Oprah is quoting scripture, but she's going down the wide path. She is the personification of what Jesus is talking about, the wide path where I'm like, yeah, awesome. Uh, Oprah's uh, interview with uh, Betty Eady was a real tell tale of her theology. Now you can look this up, it's on YouTube and stuff, but um, you know, Betty Eady was an ex-Mormon who became a new ager and one of the biggest fans of Betty Eady was um, Oprah and said one of the, her favorite books is The Light and the Awakening Heart. Um, basically they said heaven is totally not what the Bible and what the church has preached about. This woman went to heaven apparently, uh, died at 31, came back and said, it's not like what everybody says. In the interview, Oprah starts out by saying, I believe that there are many paths to God, she says, or many paths to the light. I certainly don't believe there's only one way and so did Jesus. Oh, wait a minute, what did she just say? That's exactly what she said. I don't believe there's one way and Jesus didn't think that either. Uh, uh, she said, what did Jesus indicate to you, Betty Eadie, when you saw him in heaven? And Betty Eadie said, absolutely. Uh, that's exactly what Jesus said. That, you know, basically I'm not the only way, there's many paths. Um, and she said, I experienced something that was absolutely different than I'd been taught in any of the churches. And Oprah said, well, I'm glad to hear that because if Jesus is as cool as I think he is, um, he would have had to say that. In other words, yeah, uh, there's many paths that lead to heaven. So here's two women who've abandoned what Jesus actually said very clearly and literally, and they're now making it up of what they think Jesus actually thinks, in, and they're creating them in their own image, with their own brain. Um, and if, if, if um, uh, the, argue, the, the, the interview just kept going, Oprah asked next, so what did Jesus say to you? And Betty Eady said, he said about all the other faiths that it really doesn't matter. Um, that love was the ultimate. And if we love one another, that everything else would be okay. So it doesn't really matter if you're a Buddhist or a Muslim or a Christian or a whatever. Uh, it's all about love. Boy, watch out for the way people are tossing around the word love today. Because I don't think that means what a lot of people think it means. Uh, love. 
When people say love is love, be really cautious because the pedophiles are using that right now saying, hey, 50 year old man loving a 12 year old boy, love is love. Uh, they were saying that with the homosexual community. Who are you guys to judge? Love is love. A man loving a man, who are you Christians judging? It's a funny thing how people get all upset, but they're redefining love. Sometimes love is painful and brutal even. Uh, we could talk about that. Um, but you know, Oprah should have seen a red flag, just the title of the woman's book, Embraced by the Light and the Awakening Heart. Uh, the reason why I, as a Bible teacher, am instantly a little skeptical is let's talk about embraced by the light. Second uh, Corinthians eleven fourteen says, don't marvel for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. But Brett, she was going down the hallway of following the light to the warm glow. Yeah, it could be hell. Fire's warm and glow. You can stand by a fire, it's a warm glow. But standing in the middle of the fire, it's not so fun. Like I'm, I'm sort of trying to be light, but at the same time, I'm being honest, this woman, because she saw the light, she's changing all of what the Bible says and, and, and what Jesus actually said. What about embraced by the light, awakening the heart? Oh, well, Jeremiah talks about your heart, be careful. When people say, follow your heart, just follow your heart. Um, Remember this verse, Jeremiah 79, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, who can know it? A rhetorical question, who can know it? The answer, no one, your heart is deceitful and wicked. So watch out for your heart. This woman's saying, awakening the heart and embracing the light. And she came up with a whole different doctrine than what Jesus says, who are you gonna believe in theology? Are you gonna believe Oprah or are you gonna believe Jesus? You see, the reason why I'm kind of so hard, it seems, on Oprah is because we all like her. She's a likable person. And that's why 22 million women are following her new age, new thought, uh, sort of paganism. It's the, it's the broad path extraordinaire. It's the way to go to hell. And, and so you say, Brett, I don't know if I like what you're, it, it doesn't matter what you like, I'm just saying, if you wanna follow Jesus, follow Jesus. If you wanna follow Oprah, follow Oprah. But that's the choice before you. And Oprah's the broad path that a lot of people are taking, sad to say. You know, it's amazing how basic the Bible makes it. I mean, one of the most famous verses in all the Bible, most of you have it memorized. John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him, not in her, in him, Jesus, should not perish, but have everlasting life. The Bible's so clear on the one way to heaven. But sad to say, the church of Jesus Christ, we've lost that stick-to-itiveness to the Jesus-only path. Um, in, in desperate attempts, the church of Jesus Christ, if we're not careful, we're gonna lose our way entirely. Some churches have, where we've, we've embraced, we just don't, we're tired of being thought of as the narrow-minded people that are bigoted and all the other names that people like to call Christians, um, which are un, you know, untrue uh, for the most part. But the world so much wants you and me just to conform to their worldview. And so they're, they're reshaping thoughts and definitions and stuff like that to make it so we as Christians kind of have to follow. Um, whether you're talking about wokeness or even science uh, or definitions from the Webster's Dictionary, or whatever it is, they're trying to change all that stuff. Um, climate change, science, um, Greta Thunberg, you know, she was that young girl that went viral several years ago. Now she's 19 years old. 
And she's sort of one of the spokespeople for you know, the extreme uh, environmentalism kind of thing. But she said a few weeks ago, she said, after all, the climate crisis is not just about the environment. It's a crisis of human rights, of justice, of political will, colonial, racist, patriarchal systems of oppression that have created and fueled it. We need to dismantle them all. Now, if you don't know the terminology here, um, there's, these are, this is part of the name calling thing. Um, one of the patriarchal systems of oppression that she's talking about is the church, Christians, and we're the problem, and they need to be dismantled. Um, what people are doing is they're being duped by Satan, bamboozled by Beelzebub. <laughs> are you a dupe? Don't be duped. And, and, and you know what? Satan he appears as an angel of light. Uh, in fact, Satan was the most beautiful of all of the created beings. So it's no wonder he can use someone that we go, wow, Oprah's awesome. We like, she's amazing. And she is in some ways. But it's that same amazing that's drawing people down, people down the broad path. It's interesting because Paul tried to warn young Timothy about the last days and at the end times, he said in 1 Timothy 4, 1 and 2, he said, now the spirit, that's the spirit of God, speaketh expressly that in the latter times, the end times, some shall depart from the faith. Why? He says, they'll be giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. This is what's happening. People who would maybe once say, well, Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. They're like, well, Oprah says there's many paths and, and that's, that, I like that and I want a new car too. And I wanna be like Oprah. And there's a seduction there that, may, that draws people in. And I, I just have to say it, isn't it interesting? New age is often more attractive to women than it is men. You know, Shirley MacLaine running down the beach, I am God. And some women are like, oh, that's so amazing. Men go, <laughs> What'd she say? <laughs> We're not interested in enlightenment. Most men that I know are not into enlightenment. We're into other things. It's kind of embarrassing that we're not into stuff that's enlightening. That's not, not a good thing, I'm, I'm saying. You know, it's like the Garden of Eden. What did, what did Eve be tempted by? A, a man in a Speedo? No, that's not what she was tempted by. The serpent, who wasn't a snake, by the way. I think it was, it was, a, it was a serpent, there was a difference. But Satan, who's an angel of light, says, hello, Eve, your eyes will be opened and you'll become like God. Man, that sounds like Shirley MacLaine. That sounds like Oprah. Finding the God within you and the goddess. I mean, here's Satan. Hey, Eve, here's, and, and I, again, the man would have just said, yeah, whatever. But it was Eve who said, ooh, I like enlightenment. And that's what she was drawn to. What was the man drawn to? The naked woman. I know that's embarrassing for the guys, but uh, we're not, in, why is it that new age draws mostly women? It's, it's, it's just a thing that Satan does. And I'm not knocking women. I think it's an amazing thing that, that women have a desire for enlightenment. That's a good thing. But true enlightenment comes from Jesus only not all these other things. The other things are seduction spirits and doctrines of devils. The word doctrine means teachings of devils, but it sure looks good on the outside. In the last days, we're gonna see more and more of this kind of a thing, according to the Bible. In fact, in 2 Timothy, he says a, even more pointed and direct in 2 Timothy 3, verses one through seven. Speaking also of the last days, he says, know this also, that in the last days, perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, 
boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection. Um, Truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness, they look godly and spiritual and all that, but denying the power thereof, denying Jesus, which is the power, denying that part. From such, what do you do? Turn away. From such, turn away. It doesn't say from such, keep watching the podcast or watching the show or keep reading the, the you know, magazine or whatever you're into following these things. It says from such, you gotta turn away from them. Oh, but Brett, Jesus hung out with sinners. Here, what are we supposed to do? Do this or do that? Do we follow Jesus and hang out with publicans and sinners? Or do we turn away from the sinners? Well, therein lies a very easy answer if you kind of see what's going on in the Bible. It's good for us to hang out with sinners. And we do, we work with them, we live next to them. uh, And we need to be around sinners like Jesus was. And the goal is to point them to Jesus because Jesus changes them. Jesus transforms them. You see, the prostitutes didn't keep prostituting when they were hanging around with Jesus. The tax collectors didn't keep ripping people off when they were with Jesus. Those people were all changed. You're either the hammer or the nail, and Jesus was always the hammer, influencing the nail to to go in the right direction. But some of you are more nails, and so when you hang out with the publicans and sinners at the bar, rather than being the one that transforms everyone in the bar like Jesus did, you're the one being transformed into the bar lounge lizard. And that's the problem. So the question is, are you the influencer or the influencee? That's what the Bible teaches. But when it comes to this list, all these people that are these sins, it says, man, those that are pushing this, denying the power of God, which are not the people that were hanging around with Jesus, they were accepting the power of God. But the people are saying, yeah, whatever, we we don't believe in Jesus. Then it says, from such, as it says there, from such, turn away. Verse six, it goes on, for of this sort, are are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with diverse lusts, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Boy, that last phrase there is what's happening in our education system. Ever learning, so-called, but never really coming to the knowledge of the truth. The false doctrine that comes into our houses and leads people astray is through the books and TV and social media platforms. It's amazing how much is spoken that's so wrong and misguided in all these things. I I see posts all the time of people trying to say things spiritual and some of them are good, but some of them are totally off. And I see smart people reposting stuff that's just not so right. So we we gotta remember it's Jesus only. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. I love it. This gets dizzying when you start thinking about all this stuff. It's dizzying, but good news, one way. It's almost like God says, I'm gonna write it in crayon for you guys, Jesus. Like, okay, that's the answer, Jesus. I love that. So why does God make it a narrow path? Number one, simplicity for humanity. Number two, why does God make a narrow path? Well, it's because he's God, and this is what I'm gonna call this point, God to me, is not reality. What, what are you saying, Brett? Well, there's a new deity in town, I'm gonna say in the last 20, 30 years, and it's called God to me. It's not the true God, it's a fake God that some people make up in their brain, it's God to me. Uh, God to me, the God you hope him to be, it's relativism's deity. 
Um, and, it's, and the name change has become God to me. It's like God to me is a great force in the cosmos. God to me is the ocean. God to me is more of a female than a male because we know of masculine toxicity and God can't be that. So it's gotta be that God is a woman. I like to think of God as a woman. That's just God to me. And you just made him up in your brain. Do you really want your God that you worship, one that you just made up? Like, is that really a good idea to make up a God in your brain of what you like to think God is? Um, be, but by the way, there's rules around this religion of God to me, there's rules. Like for example, you know, God can be whoever you want him to be. He is after all your creation. But make sure there's one huge limitation, limitation to this deity of God to me. Whoever God to me is, I cannot make him God to thee because it's my God. I like to think of God and you're supposed to say, oh, good for you. That's relativism. Um, uh, you know, it's funny how we do this with the Bible and some people say, well, it's good that you love the Bible, Pastor Brett, but as long as that's just for you because uh, I don't like the Bible. And if you're saying the Bible's better than the Quran, well, that's horrible and you're a bigoted Islamophobe. It's, it's the way it is right now. People don't like to reason. Uh, by the way, the church has embraced this relativism. Just kind of make it up as you go. Um, think of this one. Uh, this came out uh, just, just, I think, uh, recently. It was, what, June, I think, uh, May of uh, this summer. Uh, summer was coming. Um, the Methodist Church's first drag queen pastor, God is nothing. Um, should we be surprised? Um, you know, it's funny how years ago I was explaining, hey, you guys, the church is starting to accept homosexuality. And I was like, yeah, whatever. Um, and, then, and then a few years later, hey, the church is now having gay pastors. And I was like, yeah, whatever. That's just the Anglican Episcopal church or whatever. Um, but now the homosexual pastors are all over the place in most denominations. But now it's Methodist, uh, the third largest denomination in America. They have their first drag queen pastor. And one of his first sermons was a poem that he spoke. His poem was, God is nothing. And the self-described drag evangelist repeats uh, throughout the poem. Oh, here's a picture, just in case you wanted to know who we're talking about here. Um, oh, you're, you're so bad, you guys. <laughs> um, uh, the drag evangelist repeats throughout the poem, adding, the Bible is nothing, religion is nothing, and in the end, he concludes that God and the Bible are nothing unless, unless we wield it into something. What's this pastor saying? They're saying that God and the Bible and all this is nothing, but we have to shape it into something so that people can like it. It's God to me. And you say, oh, Brett, we can't take this seriously. This guy is some, some pastor of a church. No, take it seriously. I've been saying the same thing years ago about a lot of things. It's the whole God to me. And, and this is becoming an, a regular thing. In New York, there was a drag show in New York at one of the cathedrals there in New York uh, just a few weeks ago uh, on a Sunday morning, part of the service. I um, mean, this is relativism. Instead of saying we've got a standard, which we believe is the Bible, People are saying, we're gonna just make it up as we go. That's, this, is, this is where that gets you. And it's a broad way. And people are so, oh, that's so wonderful, a church with a drag uh, queen, that's so awesome. Broad is the way that leads to destruction. Uh, relativism, the dictionary definition, uh, by the way, uh, remember when the dictionary used to be a safe place to go? It's not anymore because they're changing definitions left and right, do you know that? Uh, Webster'd be rolling over in his grave. Uh, because, because he, he was a guy who actually was a godly dude and liked 
the Lord. Um, but now the dictionary is more like Wikipedia. When did, when did the dictionary, by the way, become sort of um, the Wikipedia sort of thing where people are just contributing to definitions? Uh, it's, it's, we're there. Uh, by the way, the, the, the definition of vaccine was just changed in Webster's. The definition of recession was changed. Uh, the economists were like, no, that's not the definition. But uh, as far as Webster says, it is. There's a new definition that's not really meaning recession, but that's for another reason. But what does the dictionary define relativism as? As it turns out, belief that truth and goodness are determined within each individual. Truth and goodness are determined by each individual person. That's relativism. And I just wanna say this, that's very popular. People are saying that, but it's the biggest, quickest way to get you on the road that Jesus was talking about to destruction. Relativism is the broad way that leads to destruction. Um, well, Brett, you're, just, you're into absolutes and you believe in the Bible. Your college professors for years have been saying, there are no absolutes. I always loved when my profs, because I went to Southern Oregon University and a uh, very secular school. Most of my professors were Marxists back then. Um, and, uh, but I remember they'd say, oh, there, there are no absolutes. And I'd love to raise my hand and they'd say yes. And I'd say, are you absolutely sure? <laughs> oh, there's always a smart aleck. No, think about it. Like elementary logic already deems that sentence as, as false. If you know how to use elementary logic, you see, you can't say an absolute thing when the thing is saying there are no absolutes. It mathematically doesn't work out. Um, and yet they've been saying that for years. There are no absolutes. Are you absolutely sure? How does this look, by the way, this, you know, um, this kind of worldview of relativism and stuff? It looks crazy. It's a little bit like this. Did you see uh, um, back in June uh, 29th, World Health Organization chief says US abortion ruling is a setback and will cost lives. <laughs> like, like, what kind of a knucklehead says something like this. Like the fact that they don't dare address the question of whether those 600,000 babies that are being aborted every single year count as lives lost. Uh, it just shows how rickety the foundation upon which the whole pro-abortion lobby rests. It's, it's sad and, and the world is so blind and they're marching down this big broad road to destruction. Relativism is dangerous, I have to say. Um, and, and it's dangerous because people love it. Um, let me show you a few quick things about relativism that, that you might wanna take note of so that you can spot it when you see it. Uh, relativism, number one, it looks like tolerance. Rel relativism looks like tolerance. Um, by the way, the only thing that the world doesn't tolerate right now is Christianity. Um, um, by the way, uh, not the bee, you know, the Babylon bee is a satirical thing, but not the bee talks about real news. Um, but they did an article recently that I thought was interesting. Forget tolerate, you will be made to celebrate. See, relativism has become very intolerant, which is kind of funny, very hypocritical. But basically one of the most brutal, powerful political lobby groups is the LGBTIA plus community. Um, where they're bullying corporations, bullying and intimidating other small businesses, and even destroying the rights of, of a conscious of a private person's brain. They're telling you how you have to think. And if you're in the military or if you're a, uh, a police officer or medical person or school teacher, they're cramming in your brain how you're supposed to think and forget tolerate. They'll, they'll, told you what you're supposed to, they'll tell you what you're supposed to celebrate. 
75% of professors in college universities uh, teach there is no right or wrong. There's nothing true of good or evil. Good and evil they treat as just cultural differences between people. But the Bible is clear on this. If you go to the Bible, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 10 says, know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. That, that means go to heaven. Um, be not deceived. Now, when it's, the Bible says be not deceived, implication, there's a deceptive quality to this discussion. There's, there's people that are gonna be duped. So be not deceived, neither fornicators, which is any form of sexual immorality, idolaters, adulterers, nor effeminate, some of your newer translations rightly put homosexuality there, um, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Now, some of you are like, man, this is, this is like the Sermon on the Mount. This makes me uncomfortable. Who can go to heaven then? Because a lot of you may not, you know, be hit by some of these things. Maybe you've never committed adultery. Maybe you've never robbed a bank. But probably most of you have been covetous. Some of you have been drunk. Some people are revelers, party animals. Uh, but it says, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, some of you are like, well, Brett, this makes me nervous. Just like the Sermon on the Mount makes me nervous. But the answer is right here. In fact, the next verse, let's add the, the verse 11. I love this. And, and here talking to the Corinthians who were a pretty worldly bunch, Paul says, and such were some of you. You were the gay, adultering, idolater, fornicator, thieves, drunkards. You were some of those, but you've been washed. You are sanctified. You are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the spirit of our God. See, this is the good news. We're all part of this list. So when people say, what are you guys, anti-homosexual? No, we're not. We're just anti-sin and the Bible lists all these sins and we're all part of this list. Welcome to the club. We're all sinful, messed up people and we're in trouble, but praise the Lord for verse 11. Because the Corinthian church said, guess what? We, re we recognize we're sinful, so what are we gonna do? We're gonna be washed. We're gonna be sanctified, we're gonna be justified. What are those words? Those are fancy words, washed by the innocent blood of Christ that was shed on the cross, that our sins be washed away. Sanctified, set apart from the rest of the world, not because of anything you've done, but because of what he did on the cross. Justified, it means just as if you'd never sinned at all. You're made brand new in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus is the way, the only way to be saved from your sinful, hell-bent decisions is Jesus who says, I'll take you off the big road that leads to destruction and I'll put you on that narrow path. Jesus is the one who does that. I love that. So then who can go to heaven? Anyone who accepts the work of Jesus and the cross. Um, now this is, this is interesting because, um, you know, the church has slowly just accepted this relativism and we're seeing now, you know, drag queens as pastors in the third largest denomination in America. And we're seeing, you know, homosexuality is far accepted now. You know, 14, 15 years ago, I was doing a sermon uh, that we, we had some people get up and leave. I was talking about how you mark my words. I said, I'm quoting myself, mark my words, pedophilia is the next, the next frontier of where the world's gonna push. And people left Athey back in those days. That was back when we were in the school across the freeway there. And um, people left said, you've just, no, that's ridiculous. And, and I, was, I was actually reading some uh, American Psychological Association journals about this, this work that had been done on studies. And they made this statement, um, sexual activity from an older male to a younger 12 year old child is not detrimental to that child's sexual upbringing. 
That's what they said. And I was quoting directly from that American Psychological Association Journal. Now, I have to admit, they pulled that article a few months later out of their um, uh, uh, journals because it got so much. But I, I argued it was just a test balloon and back in you know 1998 or whenever that was, just a test balloon to see if they could pull it off. And now they're pulling it off. Um, if you haven't watched all the way from that article through Michael Jackson and through other, the, the, the idea of pedophilia is becoming normalized. This, this, this video went viral just a few weeks ago and I brought it so you could kind of see. And I, I don't, I hate to even show you guys this, but, but um, you know, I think, I think the church guys says, Brett, you're just wacko. You just, you're just too uh, into what's going on in the world. This is, this is the world sneaking up with its relativism and now they're in our face and they're cramming this down your children's throat at school. You need to know this mom and dad. This is part of the curriculum nowadays. Uh, this is what's going on and here's, the, you should hear this. My name is Miranda, I use she, her pronouns and I'm a licensed professional counselor and sex therapist in Erie, Pennsylvania. And today I wanna to talk about minor attracted persons. And I want to talk about minor attracted persons because they are probably the most vilified population of folks in our culture. And most folks are making incorrect assumptions about them without actually knowing much about them. And those assumptions create harm for an already marginalized population. You may have noticed that I'm using the term minor attracted persons, sometimes abbreviated to MAPS, instead of the more commonly used term pedophile. And I'm doing this because the term pedophile has moved from being a diagnostic label to being a judgmental, hurtful insult that we hurl at people in order to harm them or slander them. Let's talk about what a minor attracted person is or who they are. This term simply means that the person has an enduring sexual or romantic attraction to minors. They've not chosen this attraction, just as the rest of us have not chosen whatever our attraction is. You don't get to choose to be heterosexual or to be gay or, or whatever you are. And you don't get to choose to be a minor attracted person. Um, and it goes on and on. I could have made it longer, but you know, this, this logic has been what they've been hammering at us. You don't get to choose whether you're gay. Come on, Pastor Brett, the Bible's antiquated. Um, to say that a person shouldn't be a homosexual because they were born that way. My argument's always been, we're all born to do sinful things. There's people born to be gay. There are people born to be angry men. But we don't celebrate angry men month and have a, a red and black flag for angry men marching. We like to beat our wives. We like to beat our wives. We, we don't approve that in our culture. That guy was, that guy was born a sinner. Um, so, so this idea of we were born this way and we don't get to choose. No, we, we, we are born, we're all born sinners. I am too. So this, this logic, and then for her to say that, um, you know, we're worried about the harm that's gonna have to come to these pedophiles. What about the harm of the child that's being abused sexually? Um, that's, that's ridiculous and it's, it's, it's offensive. And yet this is going mainstream. If you don't believe me, why, why is it? Uh, and, and I'm sorry if you've seen some of the images 
uh, on the news or around, but all these gay pride month uh, marches and stuff back in June, there's images coming out of, you know, these scantily clad, almost naked men with fake breasts dancing on stripper poles with children in their arms as they're doing this. There was a day where that pedophile would have gone to jail. Now they're being celebrated and sort of, they wanna change it to now the word maps or minor attracted people. Um, and I'm just gonna say relativism looks like tolerance. Oh, we're just so embracive. But if you notice, do you sense a little note of arrogance in this person? Because this person would scream in my face and say, you're arrogant, Pastor Brett. And uh, I would say, well, why? Because you're, you're saying you know the only way to heaven and we're relative and we're, we're open and we, we embrace all these things. Um, Who's more arrogant, me claiming to know the one way to salvation, but it's really not me. I'm, I'm saying the Bible, which has withstood thousands of years of scrutiny, um, this is what claims the one way. But where did you get your arrogance to say you're like God, creating your own reality and even inventing who God is to you? Like, which one's more arrogant? The, the relativism, it, it, um, it looks like tolerance, but it, uh, relativism number two, it lends itself to arrogance. And we're seeing an arrogance in our culture right now that flies in the face of God and crams ideology down everyone else's throats. It's funny how relativism started being very swishy, mishy, lovey-dovey. Now it's cram it down your throat. Um, and then thirdly, lastly, relativism loves ignorance. It's this whole thing of dismissing the abused child. Relativism says, we're worried about the pedophile, but who's worried about the child? Relativism says, defund the police. Logic says, what about criminals who are gonna rob and kill people? Nobody wants to, relativism loves ignorance. And, and we're seeing that kind of a mindset go crazy today. Back to our main points though. Why does God say narrow? Simplicity for humanity, number one. God to me is not reality, number two. Um, but number three, and it's not an alliterated, it doesn't fit, I'm just gonna say it, two, two words the cross. Why is there a narrow path for salvation? Think through this just for a minute with me. If there were many paths to heaven, why then did God see it necessary to see his son brutally slain on a cross? If there were many ways, if you could go through Oprah or Krishna or Buddha, why would God say, I'm gonna, I'm gonna see my son who was beloved die a brutal, torturous death on the cross? If there are other ways, do you see the lack of, uh, that makes God evil and it makes Jesus a total fool to die on a cross. If there were many other ways, I'd say, I'm not gonna die on the cross. Why don't you guys choose the other ways? Cause this isn't really necessary. But the cross was necessary because it is the only way. Jesus even prayed in the garden of Gethsemane, didn't he? In Matthew 26, 39, he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed saying, oh my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. That if it be possible, Jesus prayed, if it be possible that there's any other way, then I don't wanna drink this cup of suffering of going to the cross. But as it turns out, that was the only thing God said would work. An innocent God becoming man, living among humanity, innocent, he who knew no sin, died on the cross for the sins of the world thereby giving us the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father, which is heaven, but by the cross. 
There's no other alternative. Jesus is the only way. All that to say, um, people say, well, Brett, then why, why is, you know, why does God, if he, if he is the only way and all this is true, why does God allow all this stuff to go on in humanity and what's going on? You know, there's one word that I'm gonna say and it's the word patience. God is long suffering or patient. In fact, when it comes to this, you know, the world is so arrogant. Well, if God, you know, God to me wouldn't punish sinners. God to me wouldn't have a place called hell. That's the God to me religion. And if God is love, then why is there suffering in the world? And people ask arrogantly, there's answers to those questions. Um, God created a beautiful sinless world. Man ushered sin into the world by Satan and ruined everything. God says, I will fix everything, but you gotta follow my plan. And my plan is Jesus. But Peter sums it up nicely in 2 Peter 3, 9, when he says that the Lord is not slack or lazy concerning his promise. What promise? You see, there's coming a point where God finally says, time's up, humanity. There, that day is coming. It's called the last days. It's what Paul was talking about when he said to Timothy, in the last days, prayerless times are gonna come. And I believe we could very well be living in those last days. Bible gives us all kinds of evidence and it seems like we can check all the boxes. But, but the idea is, the promise is that he's gonna rapture his church, pour out tribulation for seven years on the world, and then return, his second coming, where Christ is gonna rule and reign over this earth. It's called the kingdom, and that's what's gonna happen. You say, okay, Brett, so this question, is the Lord slack concerning his promise of all that? As some men count laziness or slackness? He answers that. He says, no, but is long-suffering. God is long-suffering to us, we're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Repentance is that part where you drop all your sins and say, I'm a sinner, and you turn and walk onto that narrow road that is Jesus only. The Lord, he, he could just crush the earth right now, but he's long suffering. And there might even be some of you in this room or some of you watching online that have yet to accept Jesus and you've not walked on that narrow path. You've gone the way of everybody else. And, and yet the Lord calls us to something different and being a Christian can be lonely and it can cost you, but it's still the right road. It's been said, any dead fish can go with the flow. <laughs> Jesus told his disciples, I'm gonna make you fishers of men. And my hope and prayer is you wouldn't just go with the flow because the, the flow is to hell. But if Christ catches you, he doesn't catch you to put you on a frying pan. He catches you to take you into heaven. So Jesus said, I will make you fishers of men to his disciples. And that's exactly what they did. They went and started preaching the gospel and sharing the good news. So really there's two responses I think that I would look for with these two verses of our text that the Lord says there's a broad way that leads to destruction and there's a narrow path that leads to heaven. What do we do with this? Well, two people, if you're a Christian, you and I need to be all about sharing the gospel of Jesus to people because they're all on the broad road. They're headed straight for destruction, for death and for hell, eternal death and hell. You and I, see Oprah even said, I don't wanna put my Christianity on you, she says. It's all up to you, whatever religion or faith, I celebrate that in you. Um, that, that's, if I were Satan, that's what I would say. Because man, if people think they're okay because they're into religion or whatever their view of religion, then you've won. But Jesus says, no, I wanna catch these fish and pull them to myself. Jesus being the only way. So Jesus did not say, go into all the world and put bark dust around the public schools planters. Jesus did not say, go into all the world and build church buildings. 
Jesus did not say, even good things, go into the world and make better home groups. Like it's an amazing thing what Jesus said. He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel, make disciples and baptize people. That's what it's all about. Well, Brett, that's what we pay you for. You're, you're our pastor. Uh, that's your job. Well, I, I'm doing my best and I've got a great staff and t- massive team of volunteers and we're doing our best to reach this world with the gospel and with teaching through the Bible as much as we can. But frankly, it's not just my job, it's, it's your job as well. Um, you've been ordained, you're licensed and ordained. How so, Brett? Jesus said, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and have ordained you. You're all called to go and preach the gospel because you guys can get in places I could never get. If I walk into Intel with my Bible in hand and say, I've got a word I'd like to share, um, they'd kick me out, they'd call security. But you're in there and you're working with people and there's people that are lost, marching on the broad road to destruction and you've got the gospel and you can share that. It goes back to what Jesus told us at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, you are to be salt and you're to be light in this dark world. That's what we're called to be. Sermon on the Mount, man, a lot of stuff to work on. So that's for the believer. I finish with this though. If you're still not a believer, why? I mean, I know it's easy to go on the broad path, but if you think about it for more than 10 seconds, you gotta realize the broad way is in fact leading to destruction. And I think there's evidence everywhere of that. And really, if you wanna get somewhere specific, you kinda have to take a very narrow path. Relativism and God to me gets you nowhere. Just like if you say, I wanna go to Astoria, but I really like to think of getting there on Highway 84, but I wanna take 84 East and I'm gonna drive past Pendleton to get to Aurora. I mean, get to um, you know, Astoria. Brett, that's ridiculous. You can't get to Astoria through Pendleton. Oh, but I like to think I could. That's relativism. It's stupid. If you wanna to get to heaven, you gotta take the road that's narrow and a path that's Jesus. Just like if you go to Astoria, there's gonna be a point where you gotta get on a certain road to get to the town of Astoria. Otherwise, you won't get there. So, so my challenge to you is to accept Jesus Christ. It's not even hard, that's the amazing thing. I mean, it is hard in the sense that you dump your sins and repent and say, I'm not gonna live a life that way anymore. It's not that you're perfect. When you accept Jesus, you're not perfect, you're just perfectly forgiven. And you get to go to heaven, not by your good deeds, but because Jesus died for all your bad deeds and he covers your sins. And it says, if you confess with your mouth, Romans 10, verse nine and 10, and believe in your heart, the Lord Jesus Christ that God raised him from the dead, it says you will be saved. That means you're on the right road once you accept Christ. You gotta go through Jesus. And some of you maybe never done that, but just because you went to church all your life doesn't mean you're a Christian. You must be born again, Jesus said. So. When it comes to these times in churches, some of you are like, "Ah, I've been through these altar calls uh, and I just don't know. But why is it that your heart thumps and why is it that you feel, I'll tell you what it is, when you feel that stirring in your soul to accept Jesus, that's what the Holy Spirit does. Even before you're a Christian, the Bible says, the Holy Spirit is with you, tapping you on the shoulder saying, you need to be saved. So what is it that keeps people away? Just being stubborn not really wanting to give it to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm a sinner and I repent. I repent of my sins and I accept your free gift of salvation. It's really kind of amazing. People don't just accept it. I'd like to give you that opportunity. Would you, let's all bow our heads together. And would you as Christians, would you be in prayer right now? And I wonder if there might be a few of you who would say, yep, 
I've been the stubborn one. I, for whatever reason, haven't accepted Jesus as my personal savior. And I've got excuses and things and reasons. But, but you know the spirit is tapping you on the shoulder right now. Um, I wanna give you an opportunity. And this is easy. I'm not gonna make you come down in front of anybody. Or, uh, but right where you sit, if you're saying, Brett, I wanna repent of my sins and I wanna accept Jesus, that he died on the cross for my sins, rose from the grave, and I'm gonna just believe that and accept that. Then the Bible says, Romans 10, 9, if that that happens, then you're on the road and you're saved by his grace through faith. If that's you, I'm gonna ask one thing of you, between you, me, and the Lord, that you would acknowledge that by a simple looking up and and give me a quick wave and let me, I'll I'll acknowledge you. I I don't want you to, you know, make a big deal out of it, but just let me know. If that's you, do that right now. Awesome, I see you guys over here, cool. Awesome, right here, good man, good. Right over here and here, awesome. Let me just look around a little more. I don't wanna miss anybody, awesome. Way in the back there, I see you, that's great. Cool, back there, good. Over here, good, cool. I'm gonna see you, you that have waved at me and just looked up, I'm just gonna say this prayer of faith. And I, I love this because the whole church, we, we actually love praying this with you because um, those of us that have accepted Jesus, it changed our lives. It didn't make us perfect. It just made us perfectly forgiven. And we know we get to go to heaven, not because of anything we did to deserve it. We just accepted the free gift. And that's what you're doing right now. So we're gonna pray this out loud with you guys and girls. So let's pray this together. And if, you're, if you raise your hand, just pray this from your heart, through your mouth, and the Lord will hear it and he honors it. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, I believe in your son, Jesus. I believe that he died on the cross for my sins. That he rose up from the grave and my sins are forgiven. Help me to walk with you. Thank you for saving me. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Lord, I pray blessing upon these people who've just confessed you. Lord, I pray you just wrap your loving arms around them, that they would just sense, Lord, that their sins are forgiven and they know that burden is no longer on them. Lord, we know life isn't necessarily gonna be rosy from this day forward, but we know that eternity is that to be in heaven with you someday is is where it's at. So Lord, I pray that we'd walk that path and continue just to stay in that truth. And Lord, that we'd live our lives for you. Lord, may our light shine before all men. I pray your blessing upon these folks who've just confessed their faith in Jesus' name, amen.